Hey brothers, this is Justin with Masonic Improvement. Today I'm going to uh, address a question that was asked me on one of my videos. It was a response to my Why I Left Freemasonry video, and I thought it was really good. It was pretty relevant, and I felt as though it deserved its own video, so we're going to go ahead and just kind of talk about that real quick. Before I get started, if you haven't already, please go ahead and hit subscribe so you can follow my channel. I usually post things about once a week. I kind of took a hiatus for the last two weeks, but know that um, there will be more stuff coming so go ahead and hit that button and you can keep up with everything. So the response was by uh, user David Hibbets and what was said is my comment is that you found that Lodge geez. my comment is that you found the Lodge not to be what you expected or were interested in. Okay I can go with that but what you don't explain is what did you expect and what do you think lodges need to do to attract the interest of men your age? And that's a really good question. So let me just go ahead and start out by telling you um, I'm 34 years old. I was born in 83 and so I fall into that millennial category just barely but I'm, I'm in there. As for what I expected when I went in that's really hard to say now. Um, this was over 10 years ago when I joined. I joined after, shortly after I turned 21. At the time, that's how old you had to be in Texas to petition. The reason I wanted to join was because my dad is a Freemason and my granddad is a Freemason. And I grew up uh, seeing that symbolism, you know, this grand compass all over the house and my granddad's ring. So I was, I was familiar vaguely with the fraternity but I, I didn't really know much about it, and I just kind of jumped into it as soon as I turned old enough. So I didn't really know what to expect, but um, I figured, I guess, since my family had been involved in it for so long that, you know, it had to be a good organization. It had to be worth my time. So I'm not really sure if I had any uh, concrete expectations. I do know that there were a few things that kind of um, surprised me when I was going through the petition process and everything. And, and that, that was small things like the quality of the meals, or rather the lack of quality of the meals during the meetings, the dress at the meetings, the demeanor and the type of discussions that were taking place at these dinners before the meetings, because I couldn't actually sit in a meeting until I was a master, but I would still go and I would sit out uh, and eat with everybody and usually the Tyler or somebody else would stay outside the lodge and go over the work with me. But um, so as far as like those concrete expectations, I, I really couldn't tell you now what they were, but I could tell you that there were several things that did not meet my expectations and, and that was small things like that. But um, what I didn't realize at the time, or I probably should have realized, is that these small things were the uh, result of larger problems that I would not really understand until I was uh, involved longer and could actually sit in the meetings. And so the second the second question is what do lodges need to do to attract men of my age? Here's the thing. Men my age are already being attracted to the fraternity. We have a respect for things like tradition and ritual and ceremony and and Freemasonry offers all this and we're attracted to the fraternity, but the problem isn't getting us to join, it's retaining us. And um, I think my video that I mentioned earlier, you know, why I left Freemasonry, 
I think that sums it up really well as to you know why I left and looking at the comments not the crazy comments but the comments of other Masons um, that's a trend it wasn't just me this is a real uh, problem and so and if you look at a lot of people that said they left many times it's for the same reasons as what I mentioned so if you haven't watched the video, I really suggest that you do because it really kind of helps frame everything that I'm talking about. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about what not to do because I've already done that. Uh, I wanted to address the question directly, which is what do we need to do to attract people? And uh, instead of talking about attracting people, I'm just going to talk about retention because I think, like I said, the attraction is already there. It's just once, once they realize uh, a lot of things, they don't stick around. But there is one thing in that video that uh, after some reflection, I've come to realize and I want to talk about that real quick because it is important and it does address the question. So whenever I was going through the degrees, there's a lot of memory work and, and the memory work, as you know, if you're a Mason, it focuses on, uh, you know, it focuses on the ritual and the symbolism and the application of that, or it should. Now, so you're going through all this stuff and you're learning all these things. And it's kind, of, it's kind of setting you up for these high expectations uh, of what actually takes place in the meetings. Or at least it did. Like I said, you can actually sit in a lodge as an EA now, but at the time you had to be a master. So, you know, I'm learning all this work and I'm not knowing what's going on in the meetings, but I'm getting the impression based off all this, all this ritual I'm learning and all these, all these questions and answers that whatever is going on in the actual meeting is in some way relevant to these things I'm learning right now. And once I got... You know, through and I turn in my master's work and I can actually sit in the meetings and I realized that they were nothing but business meetings and that's where I got kind of disillusioned and I left and that right there I think is what's really important to focus on is that something I've learned from studying Millennials is that we really like things to be authentic and when you have all this all this memory work that is in sharp contrast to what's actually going on in your meetings and the actual work the lodge is doing is not authentic. And that's, I think, what really hit me that day when I, when I was piling that water and I realized this is not authentic. I learned all this stuff. I went through all these fantastic and elaborate rituals and ceremonies, which feel so disconnected from the actual meetings and the work that the lodge is doing. And that's what drove me off. And I think that's probably what's driving off a lot of millennials is that um, there's this huge disconnection there's no authenticity between what we're told the Lodge is supposed to do and what the Lodge actually does. So that really brings the question, what can a Lodge do to bring that authenticity back to itself? And there's a lot of things that you can do, and I've probably covered some of this stuff before. And I'm going to just cover it very quickly because I know a lot of my viewers don't like really long, long videos. Um, if y'all want, I can go back later and cover everything individually. I may, I may even write about it at some time, but uh, I'll just list those things real quick. One, guard the west gate. Number two, guard the progressive line. Number three, raise the bar on your standards and hold yourself to them. Number four, create a mission statement for your lodge, have some kind of vision, and know where you're going and actually work towards it. Five, I'm just going to tell you right now, you've got to do something about your dues. Now there's a lot to be said about the dues. I kind of covered it before, so I'm going to leave that at there too. And I know a lot of people have really strong opinions about dues, but it is what it is. Number six, 
Streamline your meetings, please. We don't need to spend 15 minutes hearing the minutes from the previous meetings, and we don't need to spend another 15 minutes hearing communications from Grand Lodge. In many jurisdictions, there are ways that you can still share the minutes, you can still share Grand Lodge communication uh, without breaking any laws, and it doesn't take all this time in Lodge to do this. What can you do with this extra time? Number seven, have some kind of education process. There are various ways you can do this, and the two best ways to probably do it, or at least the simplest ways, is just have some kind of presentation during Lodge, or even better, get a guest speaker. So that's all I'm going to say about, about that. Um, that was a really good question. If there's any of these points that you really want me to, um, to focus on more, I'd be glad to. I'm just um, trying to keep it short and sweet for the sake of time. But I'd love to hear what everyone else thinks about this also. How do you feel about all these ideas? I've offered my opinion, but what do you think about what I've suggested? I know that out of these seven points, that there has to be something that not everybody agrees on. Tell me why you do or why you don't. I'd love to hear from you. Please be sure to give me a like if you enjoyed this video, and I'll see you on the next one. Thanks again. Take care. Hello, brothers. This is Justin with Masonic Improvement. Today, I'm going to talk about why I believe Freemasonry's membership numbers are in decline. Before I get started, I told you I was going to start recommending books uh, with every video. So with this video, I strongly recommend Observing the Craft by Brother Andrew Hammer. It is a fantastic book. I mean, it has been on my to-read list for a very long time, and I've just got around to it. And wow, I mean, if you've followed Masonic Improvement for any period of time, uh, if you agree with many of the things I've talked about, then you will really enjoy this book. I'll put a link down below if you want to check it out. I highly recommend it. It belongs in every brother's bookshelf. It belongs in every lodge. Check it out. <sighs> okay. <laughs> I'm a little antsy about this video because um, it's kind of hard to talk about. And when I wrote the blog piece that accompanies this, I kept I kept having to go back and rewrite everything because I felt as though I was coming across very strongly. I felt as though I was giving the wrong impression with the uh, the content of my post. And I just want to put a little disclaimer in here right now. It is not my intention to bash on anybody in the fraternity. I'm not trying to make anybody sound as though they're the bad guy. I'm not trying to downplay any generation. I'm not trying to upplay any generation. I'm just sharing the facts as I am interpreting them. Uh, and I'm sharing what I believe is the problem for our decline. I'm not going to talk about solutions. And so I'm just going to present the information how you want to handle it is for you to decide. If you even want to acknowledge it at all, it's completely up to you. I'm just sharing what I believe is a very reasonable hypothesis for why the numbers are in decline like they are. That being said, I am going to be talking about membership numbers. This is going to be probably a little bit longer video than normal. And um, I apologize for that. I know most viewers like smaller, smaller shorter videos. But there's a lot of stuff to cover here, and I don't want to um, do it halfway. But really, before I talk about this too much more, if you have not read Brother Lance Kennedy's uh, article, Freemasonry is Dying, check out the link below. Give it a read. He talks about the numbers. He goes into details. Uh, he quantifies it better 
than than I could ever hope to. And that is not my intention with this post. I have already kind of talked about his article before in a uh, in another blog post, and this isn't really a rehashing of that. Um, that was more of a prediction of where the numbers are going to go, I think. But this is why I just I'm just trying to answer why. This is why I think the numbers are what they are. So on the screen, you can see this nifty little graph that I put together. Really, all I did is I went to the uh, Masonic Service Association of North America's website and pulled up their data uh, for the membership numbers between 1924 and 2017. And it's not really up to date because obviously it's 2019 now. Uh, I'm sure we can predict where the trend is going to go. And I really wish we had data before 1924, but we don't. So really what this data shows us is that there was a huge uptick around the late 50s. Uh, the high point was in 59, and it has been in a relatively steady decline ever since. This is pretty well known to most of us by now. Um, this is nothing groundbreaking. This is not information most of us aren't aware of. I just really wanted to create some kind of a visualization aid to really drive home the point, you know, if you if you look at that decline, it's you can see some minor curves, but you can really tell that it is pretty steady. And I realize even the MSANA uh, recognizes that their data probably isn't 100% accurate, but I think it paints a pretty complete picture. So I want to talk about generations. That's going to be kind of a big focus on this because. Um, it, it ties together with why. If you look at the uptick, uh, let's see, beginning around 1944, those are the silent generation. Those are our great grandparents or our grandparents if they're very old like mine. Um, that's the silent generation. And up around 1959, that is still the silent generation. The baby boomers um, really didn't come around until 1946. That was when the oldest baby boomers were born. So in 1959, when we were at the height of our membership, that means most baby boomers were around 13 years old. So clearly not old enough to join in any Masonic lodges. And that means that the fluctuation, that, that huge increase was caused by the silent generation. Now after 1959, you see a downward slope. And I've talked about that already. It's, it's a pretty steady downward slope. And what's happening here, my interpretation of this, is the membership is trying to return to equilibrium. And what I mean by that is if you look to the left of the, of the graph, uh, again, I wish I had older data, but I do not. But you can tell that it appears that the membership fluctuates, and it fluctuates till about 1942. And then you see a rapid increase and you gain about a hundred, uh, you gain about 1.5 million members within a very short time span, relatively speaking. So typically, in a healthy organization, the membership will hover around a certain point. But this is not the case. We had this huge uh, swell of membership, and we gained about 1.5 million people. And then, what's happening? My interpretation is you're seeing a decline. 
what's really trying to happen at that point is you're trying to return to equilibrium. There's really no indication that the baby boomers were joining in unusually high numbers like their, like their fathers were, but they were joining, obviously, because there's plenty of baby boomers in the fraternity, but they're joining at a normal rate. And what you're seeing is as the silent generation is passing away and becoming, uh, leaving the fraternity, you're having the baby boomers that are taking over where, they, where, their, where their forefathers were, but in regular numbers. So in an ideal world, what we would have seen with the baby boomers joining, joining at a normal rate is once we've got around 3 million members, you would expect to see stability once again. You would expect to see the total membership numbers hovering around 3 million people, but that's not the case. What happened at that point is you had Generation X, they came along, and they had nothing to do with anything that their parents or grandparents were involved in, generally speaking. We're painting, we're painting in broad strokes here with all these generations that we're talking about, but they had nothing to do with Freemasonry for the most part. So what happened was the organization was a decline. It was probably about to reach stability, but Generation X never stepped in. They never stepped into the organization. But what's interesting to note is younger generations are interested in fraternity. Millennials are very interested in Freemasonry. And, al and although most Generation Y, or whatever generation they end up being called, are too young to join Freemasonry right now, they are expressing interest also. But we're still declining. We're still losing members. Even though younger men are joining, we have a generation that is once again interested, interested in the fraternity and they are joining. We are still in decline. The question is why? Why is this still happening? <clears throat> so before we go further, I want to talk about a, uh, a concept. It's called generational succession. Um, we all know what succession is. Say like you have a, a noble lord and he has a young son and it's his only son. So when this noble lord passes away, his son inherits everything. He inherits the five, he inherits the castle, and then his son in turn will do the same. Uh, this applies to, you know, property, estates, uh, titles, any kind of thing. We, we know what succession is. Generational succession occurs when an entire generation of people inherit something. In this case, you have an entire generation of men that are constantly replacing the preceding generation of men in Freemasonry and over time taking on that mantle of stewardship for the organization. And this is a continuous cycle. So you had you had the silent generation, they took it from their forefathers, and they eventually took over the mantle of Freemasonry. And as soon as they took over that mantle, they started declining in numbers, and you have the baby boomers coming in, and then they would take that mantle, and ideally what would have happened is Generation X would have taken that mantle, and then uh, the Millennials, and then Generation Y, and so forth. And this is a slow process, that the mantle is slowly handed over. And the benefit of this is it allows an organization to adapt to the times. And what I mean by that is, say for example, the silent generation. They had certain expectations out of Freemasonry. Their generation had certain things that they valued. And that was reflected in the way they ran the organization and the way they ran Freemasonry. And the baby boomers also had their own expectations of the fraternity. They wanted to run it a certain way. 
but the differences between the silent generation and the baby boomers weren't such in sharp contrast that it was impossible or altogether too difficult for them to um, push for the changes that they wanted. So the, fr fr so the fraternity, you know, adapts slowly over time. And if you, and if you disagree, if you take a brother today and you create a time machine and you go back to a Masonic Lodge meeting 300 years ago and you put him in the middle of that meeting, it was going to be a very new experience for him, even if he's been in the fraternity for several decades. Now, with that same idea, if you take a brother from 275 years ago and transplant him back into that 300-year-old lodge, or I'm sorry, and transplant him back into that lodge from 300 years ago, he'll notice some differences, but he can probably get by. It won't seem so unusual to him. There won't be so many differences that he won't really know what's going on. And this is how I illustrate that Freemasonry changes over time. Um, so obviously, you know, 300 years ago, it's, there's a huge contrast. There's a huge difference in the way Freemasonry was ran. But if you just take a short 25-year interval, yeah, it's different, but it's not too different. So what we're seeing, what you would see is a slow, gradual change in the fraternity over time. Nothing too drastic. Nothing that would really make anyone uncomfortable at that point in time. But if you were to be operating lodges like you did 300 years ago today, and turn around and suddenly start suggesting that someone run a lodge like we all know that they're ran now, it'd be still very different from the way it was already ran. There's no way to ever get it to happen. So generational succession is important because it allows you to allows the fraternity to adapt to different generational expectations. But what happens if you skip a generation? And that's what happened. We lost Generation X, and so we skipped an entire generation. And so it is my belief that we, if we can identify the effects that this generational gap created when this line of succession was broken temporarily, then we could probably find out why we're not retaining members and why that, that slope is still going straight down. So there are three results that I really think came from this. And this is where it gets really hard to talk about. Because I just want to reiterate, I'm really, I'm really not trying to make anybody upset. Um, this is not the point of this video. I'm not trying to call anybody out. Um, I'm just trying to approach it from a uh, kind of an analytical point of view. This is why um, it's for y'all to decide what you want to do. So <laughs> just be warned if you are easily offended. Just stop the video right now. So number one, because we lost an entire generation, there wasn't a succession, a generational succession like you would normally see. Sure, there is one now, or there's trying to be, but it's not quite like it typically is. And what I mean by that is normally the next generation would, would step in and start being involved and you know gradually take over you know stewardship of the of the organization but that never happened because the gen x never joined so the baby boomers were the stewards of their lodges and their grand lodges for about 40 years that's a long time and when you are the majority stakeholder of any organization for a very long period of time, then you're going to have a huge impact on that organization. 
I would even suggest that the impact you have on that organization is almost all-encompassing. And really to kind of summarize what that means is all Lodge and Grand Lodge programs and policies that are now in place all across North America were created by the baby boomers. And I know some people are going to be quick to say that's not true, but when you've been in charge of an organization for 40 years, yes, uh, pretty much everything that we have today was touched by the boomers in some way. So there's that. There's, there's the first result. The second result, when Gen X never joined, the boomers were the primary members of most lodges, like I've talked about. But that also means that they saw no one else coming in. That also means that they watched the generation before them slowly just kind of fade away over time. The only people in the lodges were the boomers. And many lodges, um, there were not many members to start with. And so we have many, many lodges all across North America that were kept alive by the boomers. Uh, the bills were paid by them. The offices were filled by them. Their names are on the registration for every meeting. They kept the fraternity alive. And I know that doesn't sound negative at all, and it's not. It's a terrific thing. I mean, we owe them a great deal of gratitude for, for keeping the fraternity alive when it probably at sometimes seemed as though it was hopeless. But this also comes with a downside, and that is when you've been in charge of anything, for as long as the boomers have been, it's really hard just to hand it off to somebody. And granted, that's not what anyone's asking them to do, but you hear about it all the time. You hear about young men that are enthusiastic. They want to be involved. They want to have be heard and they have ideas. And they are not. They are quickly met with resistance. You'll, you'll hear, uh, that's not the way we did it in my day. And... After a point, you know, it doesn't matter who it is, they're going to give up and walk away. But the fact is, when a man doesn't feel like his opinions are important, when he feels as though no one cares about his input, and they don't want his contributions, then he's going to leave. And this isn't a millennial thing. It's, it's, it's a man thing. Men are meant to have input. They are meant to feel as though they are part of something. And... Too often, you know, we find certain brothers are excited to have young men join, but as soon as they start having ideas and wanting to contribute and be a, you know, an actual functioning and helpful member of the organization, they become ostracized very quickly. Yes, they leave. They go, they leave fast. And what they do is they go somewhere else and find somewhere that they are needed and are useful. And number three, we're going back to that gap in generational succession. And we're going to talk about that. When you have this gap, that means there's a greater difference in generational expectations of the fraternity. Wherein, like before, when I mentioned the silent generation, the baby boomers, there were generational differences and they did impact the fraternity. They weren't drastic differences. Here we're dealing with a generational gap of almost 40 years. And so it's much more difficult to bridge that gap because the differences and expectations is much broader. So in conclusion, I just want to really repeat that this is not intended to be a negative uh, video. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to speak poorly of any of my brothers. That's not the case. And honestly, 
if the millennials were in the same position where we were in control of the organization for 40 years or so, then I would expect to see the same kind of results uh, where our expectations were just not reflect being reflected in what younger generations were wanting. It's just, it's, it's normal. That's completely understandable. So this brings us to why the question I asked at the very beginning, why is Freemasonry declining still? Why are we still losing members despite having a interested generation that's trying to join? And the simple answer is that young men are leaving the fraternity because it generally is not providing what they're hoping to find when they join. There's a hole in our bucket and it's losing water faster than we can fill it up. Thank you as always for watching my brothers and I will see you in the next one. Take care. Hey brothers, this is Justin with Masonic Improvement. In this video, I want to talk to you a little bit about Millennial Freemasons. But before I get started, uh, if you haven't already subscribed to my channel, please go ahead and do so now. I usually post uh, new videos about once a week or so. So if you would like to keep up with uh, everything I'm posting, that's the way to do it. Just go ahead and click that button. So recently in the uh, Texas Freemasons group on Facebook, a brother shared some articles talking about millennials in the fraternity. I'm not going to share that here just because, I mean, these are articles someone else has written. I really want to mess with the technicalities of sharing, you know, other people's stuff like that. But if, you, if you're interested in actually reading the articles, uh, you can look on the Texas Freemasons group if you're a member, and you can, you can pull those up and check them out. And I'm not going to address uh, specific points. I guess this is just going to be a rant. But every time I read something, and very often when I hear something uh, that is written by older brothers about the millennial Freemasons, um, I end up getting this image in my head of some old man yelling at those damn kids playing in his yard. And that's what it seems like every time. You know, it's like they're trying to understand the millennials and they want, you know, they want them in the fraternity. We need them in the fraternity. Obviously, we already missed uh, one generation. We can't really afford to miss anymore and, and remain um, a viable organization, in my opinion. But there's just this huge disconnect between the older generations and this millennial generation. And I think a lot of the problem is the World War II veterans, you know, they came home and they joined a fraternity in mass and they kind of shaped the fraternity how they felt it should be. And I think in many cases they've been doing it a certain way so long that they don't really understand and they definitely don't appreciate uh, younger, younger generations with totally different mindsets and experiences wanting something different than what the, the fraternity has been offering for the past 40 or 50 years. And really what's even more frustrating, um, at least from my perspective about this, is um, they recognize that millennials are different. You know, I'm a millennial. Uh, older generations recognize that we're different and they recognize that things need to change to uh, re attract to retain us. Uh, I would actually argue that nothing needs to change to attract this, but th things do need to change to retain us. And the reactions have been mostly kind of knee-jerk. And that is, you know, reduce, um, reducing the need for proficiencies, blue lightning, you know, the one-day classes, things like this. Um, have been kind of the reaction, I think, and it's actually done more harm than good. And I, I could kind of explain why here in a little bit. No one is really, for the most part, asking the millennials, you know, where do you want a fraternity? Even though millennials will be glad to tell you, 
in many cases, you know, they're, you know, shouting on mountaintops, you know, this is really where we want to go. You know, they're approaching the worship masters, you know, can we do this? Can we do that? And in many cases, they're being met with, you know, that's not what we've always done. That's not the way we do things here. And um, they leave. I'm just going to kind of share real quick from my experience um, what millennials want out of the fraternity. I have touched on this before. I touched on this very recently with another video. But since this is kind of a rant, I might cover more things. I might cover things a little more uh, in depth than I did in the other one. So um, just hear me out here. So millennials, we live in a world right now where so many things are available immediately. And uh, we can, we can uh, gather any kind of information immediately. Games or you know, any kind of entertainment is available immediately. Um, you know, that's games, TVs, movies. Um, anything like that. I mean, it's it's all immediate. In many cases, uh, especially the younger millennials, have grown up with this kind of immediate satisfaction, this immediate, uh, you know, instant gratification for things that, that they're wanting. And it sounds nice, but I really kind of think it's against human nature. Sure, we get used to things. I love being able to find information immediately. I mean, that's very helpful. But it, the thing about it is um, this instant gratification is very shallow and it's not very fulfilling. Um, so I'm not saying like information is a bad thing. I think, I think easy access to information is fantastic. But like this, this everybody wins kind of scenario, this instant gratification that older generations seem to think is great, is, is it's really not. And it's very shallow and it creates this void. And as millennials we may not know that's something that we feel like we're missing but i think it's something that we intuitively seek out and that is something to actually fill that void and that's why i think uh, freemasonry is very appealing to millennials i don't think that there is an attraction problem it's a retention problem so what we're doing is we're looking for something that is slower and deeper and more meaningful and and we know that this is an old organization and we don't really expect some things to be immediate. In many cases, we expect something that's more traditional. We understand that there's ceremony and ritual. We, we in many cases, expect to probably pay more than, you know, than the dues usually are. And in many cases, we're fine with that. We want something different. In a world of mystic gratification, we want something that actually has substance and meaning. And the reaction in many cases from the older generation is to say, well, you know, they grew up with computers and everything's immediate. They don't have the attention span to deal with anything that takes longer than a month or two or even a day. So let's do, um, you know, one day classes. Let's make it so that you have to memorize less. Let's get the dues really cheap because, you know, they got families and everything. And it's, it's so many of these reactions have been kind of the opposite of what we're actually looking for. And the thing is, this is, these are all superficial changes, and they're not actually changing things in the fraternity that need to change to actually keep us. And what kind of things am I talking about? Well, there's the dues, like I said, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. And I'm not suggesting raising dues just for the sake of raising dues. Uh, that increase needs to go towards actually sustaining the lodge in, in providing the programs that, that keep everybody. Another thing we need to start doing is really raising the standards, not lowering the standards, expecting, expecting it to attract more people. We need to raise the standards because that's really what we're looking for. We're looking for something that's not cheap and easy and quick. We want something that we actually have to work for that has meaning to attain. 
So raise those standards, and those standards apply to everything. I'm talking about the standards uh, for the ritual, the standards for your dress code, the standards for your meals, the standards for the standards for your lodge appearance, the standards for your behavior in lodge. This applies to literally every aspect of the fraternity, and the goal is to constantly work on raising that bar and improving the standard of everything in your lodge constantly. There is no end to this. Keep improving your lodge. And another thing millennials really seem to want, and I'm speaking for myself, but this is from what I've heard elsewhere also. Obviously, this isn't going to apply to all brothers, but some kind of education program. Something. Something. Please. And and this goes back to kind of streamlining your lodge. Do something about those minutes and those Grand Lodge communications. I'll talk about that here in a second, actually, um, because that, that's worth talking about. But um, streamline that, and then spend some time on education. You need to have at least some kind of education every meeting. And I'm not talking about some canned short talk that someone hasn't seen until five minutes before it's time to present it. Get a brother to volunteer the month before, if you can, to prepare something or find something that's meaningful to him and bring it and share it. Another thing you can do is actually find a presenter. So, um, for example, my lodge, last month we got uh, a guest speaker to come to our lodge and it was wonderful. It was like the best experience I've ever had there. So it, things like that are fantastic. Um, as far as like streamlining though, like that, that thing I was talking about, you know, this requires a little bit of preparation, but your minutes in mo many jurisdictions can be printed out and passed between the brothers before the meeting actually even opens. And the brothers that actually care about the minutes can read the minutes and then instead of spending all the time actually reading them in open lodge, Secretary can be like say something along the lines of brethren. You've had the opportunity to review the minutes. Are there any corrections or changes? Bam, there you go. That took you know a whole five seconds to do. Uh, the same thing at Grand Lodge communications. Uh, in many cases, unless that piece of communication actually says it has to be read in the lodge, post it somewhere. Post it outside in the dining room. So for Grand Lodge communications, the secretary can just indicate that it's posted outside. Read whatever Grand Lodge actually requires you to read and be done with it and move on. And you have no idea how wonderful that would be. Really. So that's all I'm going to say. Like I said, it was really kind of a rant. I don't know how productive many of you will feel like this was, but I'm just, it's just, it's so frustrating. And I'm being treated like, you know, millennials are like some weird alien species that you don't really know how to relate to or what to do with, but you want to associate with. Um, we're here and we're, you know, we're real people. We'll tell you what we want if you just ask us, but um, just all these knee-jerk reactions and treating us like we're some kind of necessary evil, you know, in the fraternity, you know, it feels like some kind of like a Discovery Channel episode where, you know, we have this, this, these older brothers in the wild, you know, watching millennials and just kind of, you know, trying to interpret what we're doing when really we'll just tell you, um, we'll tell you what we want. We'll tell you what we expect out of fraternity, or at least many of us will. All we ask is that we're given a chance. And all of these things that are being changed, um, just kind of out of assumptions, and all these things that are being written as though older brethren are trying to interpret, you know, what we're really about, is, is <laughs> I really don't know what, what the deal is with that. It's just, it's just weird. And these articles are like, why are you, I mean, it's, they're so far off base. They're just treating us, you know, it, it, you know, in one case it talks about how to deal with the millennials and 
I mean, that mentality, you know, how to deal with these kids in your damn yard, you know, when, when really you want us there, but you really don't want us actually doing anything. Nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to get better, and we're, you're just going to run us off because that's one thing. And that's the problem with millennials, really, is you really, in most cases, get one or two chances, and then we'll get disillusioned and move on. And it's not, it's not an attention span thing. But if we join the fraternity and we get the impression that it's not an authentic experience, then we're just going to move on and not really worry too much more about it. So anyway, that, that's all I'm going to say about that. Like I said, this was a rant. So if you enjoyed it, please hit like. And if you don't, I'm sorry. You know, not every video can be uh, wonderful, I suppose. But thanks again, as always, for watching. And I'll see you on the next one. Take care.